Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Great to see all your smiling faces here today. If, if you have a Bible with you, go ahead and get it out. If you've got your Bible app on your phone, go ahead and fire that up and go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I want to make the most use out of the limited time that we have. Merry Christmas, everybody. Let's talk about life in the Spirit. Amen. <laughs> Christmas messages are coming on Christmas Eve. Hope to see you in that service or one of those services. It's going to be a great time. I've been teaching in, on Sundays about life in the Spirit for some time now. Um, if you're new with us, welcome. We're glad you're squeezing in on the tail end of the series. Uh, if, and uh, it'll be helpful to you. And the rest are available to you online. Um, if you're new to church in general, we're so glad you came. And maybe all of this is a little bit strange to you. Uh, I encourage you to give us a few minutes, have an open heart, an open mind. See if, see if something might happen in your life. And uh, you might think, well, what's going to happen? Just wait and see. You open your, your heart up to the Lord, to God Almighty. He, he loves you beyond your comprehension. And He wants to do amazing things in your life. This message about life in the Spirit has to do with recognizing that there is a physical world and a spirit world. And it's one thing for us to mentally acknowledge that or ascribe to a spiritual truth. It's a whole other thing to live in the Spirit. To where every single day there is huge emphasis in your thought life, in your decision making on that, that originates from a spiritual source. You're not just seeing life and job and money and relationships through a natural eye. You're seeing them with a spiritual eye. That opens up the whole world of God's wisdom and blessings to flow in your life. And so let's read this passage again, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 16. Therefore we do not lose heart, for even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. So there is an outward man, there is an inward man. There's a seen and unseen. Verse 17, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. All right, so this takes intention. This takes effort to live our lives this way. Okay, if I don't see it, it's very easy to ignore it. And what I'm not talking about is trying to conjure up something in our imagination that doesn't exist. All right? We're, the, the, the realm of God, the unseen, the realm of the Spirit is no less real than the physical world that we live in. It's just many people ignore it. And so because of their, uh, their decisions to do that, it seems unreal. It seems distant, unapproachable, unattainable. But if we will give effort and give attention to what God created in the unseen realm, then we can begin to take advantage of it, to access it, to, to, to really benefit in our lives. And so we are in the Spirit now. If you're a believer, if you're, if you're a saved person, you're in the Spirit. That would be accurate. So what we're doing is just endeavoring to live life according to the Spirit. I was created to live in that realm. I was designed to connect 
to an invisible God. That's normal. That would be natural. So don't, don't think of yourself. This is a great big problem in church circles. People view themselves as sinful. They say, well, we have a sin nature. But if you got saved, you don't have a sin nature anymore. That person died. Now you're a new creation in Christ. And it, it's kind of like this. When Adam and Eve ate of the fro- forbidden fruit, Genesis 3-7 says their eyes were opened. Except their eyes were not opened unto spiritual things. That's what they were opened unto before. Their eyes were then opened in a way that they shouldn't have been opened. They had an understanding of, of sin, of guilt, of shame, and all that kind of stuff. And so mankind's eyes have been opened into the physical, the natural world, and then closed to the Spirit. And that's what is reversed when you get born again. When you get born again, you're able to see the kingdom of God. So every person who's saved has the potential to see in the Spirit to have spiritual understanding, to have spiritual access to God's amazing blessings. However, again, I must say this, it still takes effort. In other words, just because I have spiritual eyes doesn't mean I'm using them. I can easily just live my life in a very physical, carnal, fleshy way and just go from sleep to shower to food to work to job, you know, kids to school to whatever I do and just go through all the physical motions and then once a week come in and say, Hallelujah, the Lord is good. And just kind of barely peeking open my spiritual eye. I'm squinting. and Oh, I think I see something. But then we live with our physical eyes. And we want to make an adjustment so we see everything with spiritual eyes. So that we see our lives as not just being natural or, or secular. Sometimes that's a word we use. And sometimes individuals will think of themselves um, in the sense of, well, some people are ministers or pastors. That's a spiritual job. And, but I'm not that I just have a secular job, and they work with whatever they work with, building homes or electronics or whatever. People have different jobs, and they think that's a secular job. Well, it's not really secular unless it, when you're involved with it. If you're a spiritual being, that's no longer just a secular event. Here's what I mean by that. Your involvement as a child of God and as a spiritual person in a natural thing elevates that natural thing to some degree of importance. So it's not like prayer and worship, that's sacred, and then me going to work is, 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 is fleshy, is somehow unholy. There's something about... When God's people are involved in anything, that, that anything takes on a greater significance. Is everybody with me today? Now, I don't mean everything. I don't mean drug dealing is holy if you're involved. <laughs> I, don't, I don't mean if someone works for a, for a pornographer that that house sometimes you know, takes on a spiritual significance. And No, 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 no. There are some things we should run from. But nevertheless, most of our, you know, our lives, we think it's so very natural and it's so, it's so not spiritual. No, it's become spiritual the moment you get involved and you see it that way. And you say almost constantly, a constant reminding through the day, I'm doing what I'm doing. And I'm doing it with the Lord, for the Lord, for His purpose. I want Him to be glorified when I deliver this package.
I want Him to be glorified as I serve this table. He's in me. And if you'll see it that way, it'll start to help you have a spiritual life, not just a natural life. Amen. Say, well, that sounds like you just made that up. Well, (laughs) do the math with me. Think about it. There are... We could take time and develop that, but think about even our food. Most of us, uh, we give thanks for our food. All right? If you don't, I think it's a good habit. Uh, pray, give thanks for your food. The scripture says when it's received, it's uh, sanctified by the word and prayer, when it's received with thanksgiving. So simply we say, thank you, Lord, for this food. Then something, something happens to the food. So really? What happens to it? It's, it becomes sanctified. So what does that mean? It means set apart. Well, why does my food need to be set apart? Because you're about to put it in your sanctified body. And it's about to become a part of your sanctified life. In other words, when you bowed your knee and made Jesus the Lord of your life, something happened. God set you in a different category. He put his stamp of approval, his blessing on you. He says, now you're my child. I've got a plan and a purpose for your life. I want to do an amazing thing in you. You are a separated person. For God's purposes. See, uh, if I'm going to give thanks for my food now, what happens to my food? It becomes a part of God's calling for my life. Part of God's plan. And I believe it goes beyond that. Meaning, my, my house is a part of God's plan. My clothes are a part of God's plan. Hmm? Whatever I do. Now, you can stretch that too far. Obviously, you get into if the Lord is leading someone to do one thing and they're bucking against it, rebelling, going the other way, don't say this other thing is part of God's plan because He was telling you not to do that. Right? But in the sense of anything that I know to do, if I'm doing my, living my life in the Spirit, He's a part of all of it. You, could do, you can exercise yourself towards this by uh, almost like thought prayers. Meaning, sometimes you, you, know, you kind of pray in your heart where there's people around so you're not going to say it out loud. But you can do that thousands of times through the day and engage and involve the Lord in all of your life. That will elevate spiritual activity and you're, you'll stop seeing family and washing the car and getting gas and mowing the lawn and all this stuff as just all natural God has nothing to do with this events. It's my life. I want him involved in everything. Yeah. Praise God. There is though. Man, I don't even have time to preach today, it seems like. (laughs) There is a constant battle from the natural world to preoccupy us to basically get to a point where it's crowding out spiritual life. Have you ever been crowded out? There's no time and there's no place and there's no, there's no thought. In order to walk in the Spirit, we have to recognize throughout our day, throughout our lives, what's flesh and what's spirit. You remember we taught you last week about Isaac and Ishmael. One was of the flesh one was of the spirit or of or of promise right and we should not uh, settle and be satisfied with fleshly results things that we conjure up things that we work out 
Um, we want to be satisfied only with God results. The flesh, the fleshly efforts won't satisfy. They won't produce results. And sometimes when we uh, do things in ourselves, we're sacrificing something. In, in other words, uh, let's say working with the kids. You know, if you have young kids in your home and kids are told to honor their father and mother, obey their parents, right? Um, you can take that principle and say, kids, you're going to do what I say. Now, I say that. That's right. That's correct. But sometimes it's you're going to do what I say no matter what. And if it's a no matter what, sometimes we take an ungodly, unwise approach to raising kids. What, am I going to do that at any expense? To where I break them? To where I'm too harsh with them? See, no, I don't want to do that. I want to have the wisdom of... I want them to do what I say. I want to lead them. But I want to do it in the Spirit. That means I'm yielded to, I'm listening to, I'm trusting in the Lord for guidance because every child is different. It works in relationships with a, you know, a husband and wife, for example. You know, a wife might say, well, I want my husband to do this, and, and I want him to do this for me, and fine, great. Are you, gonna, are you satisfied with him doing that at any cost? Meaning, are you willing, if he'll just do that, even if he loses his dignity in the process and doesn't feel like a man anymore? But you got your way. Was that worth it? See, there are sometimes we get what we want, but we don't get it. We don't do it the right way. It's not in the spirit. It's in the flesh. And so we're sacrificing something else of value. So we always look to him. Scripture says it uses this language together. Faith and patience. Faith and patience. How many love the first word and hate that second word? <laughs> well, I'll trust God. Bless, you know, bless God for a minute. <laughs> I'll trust him that he's providing and he's going to work it out. But if it doesn't happen in a minute, we start twisting arms again. We start making something happen. We borrow ourselves into eternity so we can have it. I believe the Lord wants me to have this. Okay, he probably does, but is it worth that? Everybody okay? Hebrews 6.12 says, imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promise, the promises. Amen. Turn with me, if you would, over to 1 Kings. Got a few more minutes? 1 Kings. I know we're doing a lot in the service today, but uh, it'll, it's worth it. Absolutely worth it. People have a tendency sometimes to start something right and then devolve. They start in the spirit and devolve into the flesh. Uh, obviously you can't get saved any other way than in the Spirit. You get born again, not by your efforts and your works, but by trusting in the finished work of the cross. And how many know many people go from that place of faith and trusting in God to self-effort, um, self-improvement, relying upon their works, their own uh, efforts to get them through life? That would be a devolution. Okay. It happens in churches where some have a move of God, a move of the Spirit. And then sometime later, it's all program. It's all structure. It's all about like an organization or a business and there's no longer a life-giving move of the Spirit. I mean, and the, thing, the strange thing is, is people tolerate that. 
Christians all over the world, they tolerate it. They go to church and nothing happens. There's no salvations and no healings and no deliverances and no prayers answered and no, no miraculous and nothing happening. And they just keep going, keep paying their tithe. It's like, duh. Come on, let's... I think we should demand something more. I'm not saying demanding of people, but have a, a standard in our lives that says, I'm not going to be satisfied or settle for anything less than in the Spirit. It's not going to be a fleshly thing that I get involved with. Hallelujah. Okay, over in 1 Kings chapter 6. Here's, I want to read a few verses here. Uh, this is the story of when Solomon was building the temple. So David collected the money. Solomon, his son, took over the kingship there. And Solomon was building the temple for the Lord. Of course, we know New Covenant, we are the temple. But they were building this amazing structure that says in verse 19, 1 Kings 6, 19, And he prepared the inner sanctuary inside the temple to set the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord there. What was that? The Ark of the Covenant was the presence of God in those days. Verse 20, the inner sanctuary was 20 cubits long, 20 cubits wide, and 20 cubits high. He overlaid it with, notice, pure gold. Everybody say pure gold. And overlaid the altar of cedar. So Solomon overlaid the inside of the temple with pure gold. God likes gold. Do you know God likes gold? He told Adam in Genesis 1, Genesis 2 where the gold was. In heaven there are streets paved with gold crystal clear gold in the temple lots of gold so God seems to be into gold how many ladies think that that's right yeah husbands just saying pure gold he stretched gold chains across the front of the inner sanctuary and overlaid it with gold the whole temple he overlaid with gold until he had finished all the temple also he overlaid with gold the entire altar that was by the inner sanctuary. Verse 28, and he overlaid the cherubim with gold. Verse 30, and the floor of the temple he overlaid with gold, both inner and outer and outer sanctuaries. All right. Next chapter, 1 Kings 7. 1 Kings 7 and verse 48. 748. Thus Solomon had all the furnishings made for the house of the Lord, the altar of gold, and the table of gold, on which was the showbread, the lampstands of pure gold. Five on the right side and five on the left in front of the inner sanctuary with the flowers and the lamps and the wick trimmers of gold. The basins, the trimmers, the bowls, the ladles, and the censers of pure gold. And the hinges of gold. The hinges! I think we can get away without doing the hinges in gold. No, no, let's go ahead and make the hinges gold too. Both for the doors of the inner room, the most holy place, and for the doors of the main hall of the temple. And so we see a lot of gold, 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 gold. Pure gold. It was an amazing, it was expensive, it was super nice. This is the temple for, for God in the old covenant. And it was made with a whole bunch of gold. Now, in 2 Chronicles, something happened. Verse in chapter 12, we'll put this up. Notice 2 Chronicles 12, 9. So Shishak, the king uh, of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem and took away the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king house, king's house. He took everything. 
So this would happen when uh, Israel would go awry and they'd just be disobedient. God would be so merciful and kind for so many years. And then finally he'd say, all right, you're on your own. And so the king of Egypt came, took away everything. He also carried away the gold shields which Solomon had made. Verse 10, then King Rehoboam made bronze shields in their place. And committed them to the hand of the captain of the guard who guarded the doorway of the king's house. Well, why would you make, why would you replace them with bronze? Well, bronze is cheaper, easier to get. It, uh, it's not pure. It's copper and zinc. It's a mixture of different metals. But it's not pure gold. And so what they had in the, at the end of this, after everything was stripped away, we, they had some stuff that looked right. It looked pretty good. It still had a nice shiny gloss to it. From a distance, you might not be able to tell the difference. But when you get up close, it's not real. It's not pure. It's a cheap substitute. It's a counterfeit for the real, genuine article that the thing was created with in the beginning. And I wonder if in the same way that we have a tendency to do a little substitution. Because from a, di from a distance, we still look in the Spirit. From a distance, things still look pretty nice and pretty shiny. And the way we do church and the way we do our lives and our prayer life, it might look from uh, from the outside as being something good and special and, and of value. But truly, when you get up close, there's something missing. There's something lacking. There's something that's not there that's supposed to be there. And we can do that because how many know you can, you can uh, skip your, your prayer time all week and come in and no one's probably going to know that you've got a combination of metals going on in your spiritual life right now, that you've been half in the flesh all week, and maybe a little wink and nod at God, and, and uh, got a little spirit there, and then over time he gets totally replaced, and, but you still know how to act. You speak Christianese. You, you know the time to raise your hand and when, and when to not. You know what to do, and, and we can keep carrying on as if we have the real thing but we're spiritually bankrupt. And there is a need for us to put some effort into this. I tell you, it does. I'm not talking about earning or working towards our salvation, but it takes work to be spiritual. It does. If I'm going to access the blessings of God and the spiritual life that He gives me, I have got to take some time when I'm going to alter my schedule and turn the TV off and I've got to give attention to spiritual matters. And if I don't do that, listen, I should not be surprised if when a day of hardship or attack comes that I'm not ready to go. I don't mean that we won't surround you with faith and love and help you the best we can, but the best thing I can do as a pastor is to try to get people to stink and be spiritual. Have a prayer life, man. And I don't mean this to come across harsh or, or condemning, but I know how life is. I know because I'm just like everyone else. I'm a pastor, but I'm not anointed to live as a Christian any more than anyone else. I stand up here and I've got God on me right now because of my calling. But when I leave here, 
The, the God I have on me is the same God you have on you, and I have to work it out the same way. And if I don't discipline myself to be in the Word and be in prayer and to make decisions based on a spiritual guidance and leading, I have to have faith for my own finances and my own health and my own relationships, just like everybody else. So I can totally relate to this. And I know it's very possible for all of us to do this and try to live our Christian life in the flesh. It takes some work. It takes some intention. Amen. But I never want to sacrifice presence for performance. I don't want to give up power for programs or the glory of God for the praise and glory of man. We always want to keep our focus where it's supposed to be. You know, every now and then someone will tell me, Pastor, so-and-so doesn't like the way we do, you know, such-and-such in the church. They think we ought to do it different. And I say, so what? (laughs) Now watch, that can sound uncaring or like I'm a harsh person. It's not that. It is this. Do they really want to be in a church where the where the pastors and the leaders bow to every whim or every conviction that someone has passing by and they're constantly changing everything because this person doesn't want this and this person likes it this way. Or should they be led? And I don't mean we do it perfect, but could I encourage you? Let's approach everything spiritually. What does that mean? We pray. And if something's not right, we pray about it. And we trust God to speak and move. Amen. This is the way we do life. This is the way we are to do church. It's the way we are to do worship. We're looking for a spiritual leading. You know, the scripture tells us about David. When they were bringing the Ark of the Covenant back from the Philistines, back into uh, Israel, that that says that David danced before the Lord with all his might. Notice he did it. How did he dance before the Lord? With all his might. That sounds a whole lot like when uh, the prophet said, remember we quoted a few weeks ago, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. See, that's the, that's the prerequisite of our day. We don't worship and dance with all our might. We do it in the spirit. I'm always looking for a spiritual leading, an anointing, to function by the unction, to have something that says, this is the way to go, this is why we do what we do. But we can sacrifice it for brass all day long. And it looks the same on the outside. It looks the same to the non-spiritual person who observes from a distance. But I know this. You know this. We know some of it by experience. That when God's involved, oh, it's good. That's when lives are changed. That's when, we can, that's when people pop up with testimonies and say, I had a tumor and it's gone. That's when someone comes into a testimony and they say, I jacked up my neck when I fell on the snowboard and, 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 and messed myself up. And, and right in the middle of service, there was a word of knowledge and, uh, and my, my, my neck went right back into place. Amen. <laughs> I'm seeing the testimony. I want, I want that more than anything. I want to do this in the spirit, not just fake it till we make it. Not just have an outside show that looks good and everything else. I want the Spirit of God. Jesus said it this way when he he talked about worship in John 4. You might be familiar with this, John 4. But the hour is coming and now is 
when true worshipers, true, true, I want to be true worshiper. How about you? Will worship the Father with all their might. No, no. Yielded. Guided in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. Amen. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. In the Old Covenant is all about where you worshipped. And how you did this and that. And they had to be in the right place. And some say in Jerusalem and some say over here. He said, no, no, this is all changing. You can worship God on the mountain. You can worship God in your house and in your car. You can worship God in the church building. Here's the most important thing. Do it in the Spirit. When it's, when it's led by and inspired by and coming from the right place, then God is pleased with it. He's satisfied. And when God likes it, often it becomes very obvious. Because His blessing then rests upon what we do. Amen. And so if I'm going to have spiritual um, life, I need spiritual activity. I must intentionally engage myself to do spiritual things. I do natural things with God involved. But I need to do spiritual things. That's like prayer. That's like worship. It's faith. It's trusting God uh, for things that He promised. It's things like praying in the Spirit. You know, uh, Acts 2.4 says they all spoke in other tongues. It's a spiritual language. It doesn't come out of here. It comes out of, out of here. Remember, Jesus said, out of your belly or out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. And he said, I'm talking, and he, he was talking about the Holy Spirit. That's what it went on to, on, on to say there that they would re- later receive on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 and verse 4. And so spiritual life will become our normal way of living if we stay with it. It's, it's very similar to how some of you have become experts in some field in, in life. Maybe it's something you do for business. Maybe it's a hobby. Maybe it's something that you've given yourself to. How, how did you become so skilled at that? Why are you so good at it? Some of you don't even realize how good you are because it's become so normal. But you studied it and you practiced it. You studied it, and you practiced it. You gave time to it, and sometimes you were forced because maybe there was a degree at the end that you were trying to get, or there was a job at the end of your preparation that you had to get. But nevertheless, you studied it, you did it, you, you did it again. You probably did it wrong, and did it wrong, and then did it right, and then did it wrong, and then did it right. And, and, and over time, you became very skilled in that endeavor. This Practice is very similar to spiritual things. There are re- there's a reason some people pray and things change. And, and, and how other people pray and nothing really happens. That can change. You can become a skilled prayer. You can become proficient in spiritual matters. But it won't happen just, you know, every once in a while when everything blows up, we, we run to the Lord. We've got to exercise ourselves in this way again and again. Amen.